Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And we are recording this exactly one week before the North London derby, potentially the decisive North London derby when it comes to who will be playing Champions League football next season. As it stands, Arsenal are two points clear of Spurs, but probably by the time the match comes around, they'll be five points clear. Jason, how are you feeling heading into the uh, the crunch point of the season, squeaky bum time, as it's uh, famously referred to? Do you think Arsenal are going to do it, or are you worried that there might be another wobble? Can you hear my Henri giggle face through the camera? <laughs> That's Always. what's happening right now. Um, oh, I'm still really worried, Michael. I'm hopeful that I'm winding people up and mind the gap and all that jazz, but two points, it, it's... It's nothing. And we know that anyone can be anyone. Anyone can get complacent. Um, anyone can have a shock result, even Spurs, against Liverpool. Um, who, you know, yes, they did beat Villarreal, but phew, they made tough work of it. Um, I think that, you know, looking on paper, we're just going to do it. It looks likely. Listen, the odds are in our favour, but you just don't know. Because even if it goes what it, how everyone expects next week, if you beat us in the derby, which is very possible, then we have to play Newcastle away, who, is, who aren't easy, and Everton at home, who could be looking for a, to, for a point or, or three to survive. It's not a given. By the same token, Burnley will have the same situation, um, and, away, and that's not easy. Um and then obviously Liverpool is Liverpool. They're they're amazing. They're the best team in the land, and potentially the world at this at this rate. So I, I'm quietly confident, but I'm nervous and and um, and cautious. I'm cautious because I've been here before this season. We'd ruled ourselves out. We ruled ourselves in. I'm not saying anything definitive just yet, but I was at West Ham away at London Stadium on Sunday and it was just the whole game all I was thinking was just score and just win and just finish this game because it was so tense and you could tell I mean we really haven't played well for a while and we're getting those results again apart from the I think Chelsea game we did play well United not so much um, West Ham not so much we really uh, I, I think there's been this progress in terms of results and grinding out results this season but in terms of performances apart from a little some glimpses it's not quite what I'd hope for aspirationally, but I think when we're in a situation like this where we're trying to get back to a certain standard, it's more about the results for me. Um, but if we were fighting for titles and we were an established Champions League club again, I'd be quite frustrated and and, and would potentially be calling for the manager's head in terms of style and, and, and tactics and personnel switches, etc. But... I'm not Arteta out at the moment. Um, I think he's done a bloody good job um, at turning the fortunes around in terms of results, in terms of being brave enough to change things when they weren't working, um, and reinventing himself, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say quite confident, but there's, there's always twists and turns. How about you? Because I mean, it's all in Conte we trust and Son and Kane, the, the biggest uh, Premier League legends who haven't won trophy. Um, 
there, there's still this kind of attitude, I think, from Spurs that, oh, we've got the best manager and the best striker and da da da, and look at us, we're Spurs. But you're not in the uh, pole position, you're nowhere near fighting for a title, there's no trophy. And I know we spoke earlier in the season about top four and a trophy is a good season. So I guess it's all or nothing, ironically, for, for Spurs as well in terms of uh, getting that full spot. And, and I suppose I'd ask the question, I know it's silly questions, about are you actually happy with Antonio Conte? Because yes, he gets those results. Yes, he's an amazing manager. But, you know, another season, albeit he hasn't had a full season, but it was a pretty full season. And he's had a few um, game runs where it, it's, it's not gone to plan. He, he's been vocal. And I, I just wonder what the, the sentiment is around Spurs fans, because I had heard that it, you played terribly against Leicester. You reminded me or, or, or informed me that that wasn't the case. Um, tell me about Spurs. Well, I think we have to remember that he came in in November when we were in crisis, really, and where, as the, the song from our rivals famously goes, we were getting battered everywhere we go. I mean, we'd just been beat 3-0 by United. We'd be beat, what, 3-1 by Arsenal, 3-0 by Chelsea. We'd lost away at West Ham without scoring a goal. We were... In a in a bad way, and I think everybody agreed that the the squad was nowhere near the the required level for top. I mean, we were being written off the top four, and even if you go back to last summer with the manager search and the Kane rumours, and we finished what seventh last season. I mean, the expectations were low, but I think Conte has come in, and yes, okay, there's been moments of inconsistency, but you you expect that from a manager who when when a manager's come in halfway through the season and hasn't had a preseason and, and that time to work with the team. But I think he has improved us and to get us into a position where with a few games to go, there's only a two point difference. Uh, okay, potentially five points uh, after the weekend, but as you say, that could be narrowed down to two again if we if we beat you at home. To get us with it, you know, that close, I think is a, a big achievement. I mean, you know, you and uh, other Arsenal fans and, and other people have been talking about what a great job Art, uh, Arteta's done to have Arsenal still fighting for the top four at this stage of the season. But I feel like that's the, the very least that should be expected. I feel, if anything, the fact that it's a fight with Arsenal is to uh, is, is a criticism of Arteta rather than to his credit. Because to compare Arteta and Conte, you know, one's been at the club for three years now, uh, had no distractions from European football, spent more money than anyone else in the summer. The other one's only just got here. Um, and yet it seems like the expectations are higher on him than they are for Arteta. So the fact that we've, we've made it as close as we have, I feel, is to his credit. And I do think, actually, the performances have improved massively. And you only have to look at the goal difference, I think, is, is the best barometer of that. Because even just a few weeks ago, we were um, massively behind you in terms of goal difference. And yet we've we've completely turned that round. You know, we put four past Leeds, five past Newcastle, five past Everton three past Leicester, even when we lost away at Old Trafford, we scored twice. The goals are coming. You can see the system uh, starting to sort of come to fruition. You know, I was criticising Conte um, probably the last time we spoke for being, I thought, too stubborn with the three at the back formation when we didn't seem to have the players for it. But you can start to see it paying off now, both defensively and that we're not conceding many goals anymore. When, like I said, at the start of the season, we were basically conceding three every game. And, we, you know, there's been times in these past few weeks where we've been scoring goals for fun. OK, Brighton and Brentford, it, it didn't happen and, and that might end up costing us. But you see that front three of Kulisewski, Son and Kane are firing. You can see the the wing backs starting to, you know, that whole the whole system starting to pay off. And I think he is 
even though I was frustrated against Brighton against Brentford that he didn't change the formation and sometimes I think he he still can be a bit too wedded to the three at the back but you can see his style of football starting to come through and I, I actually think just speaking personally that what's changed for me with Conte is that whereas maybe a month or two ago when we were winning a game then losing a game winning a game and losing a game and he was having those sort of tantrums like he did after the Burnley game I think I would have agreed that it was very much all or nothing for fourth. We need to get fourth. Otherwise, he's going to walk off and this is all going to fall apart. But I actually think how we've been playing in recent weeks, the results we've been getting, the goals we've been scoring, seeing his idea of football starting to to come through, that actually, even if we do finish fifth and narrowly miss out on top four, I'll feel a lot more optimistic for next season than I might have done even just a few weeks ago, because I think you are starting to see, like I said, the the benefits uh, coming through. And, it, and it, you know, if we'd hired him last summer, like we should have done, I think we would have comfortably finished in the top four. I mean, we have been the third best team in the league since he was appointed. We've scored more goals than any other team in the league uh, so far this year. So it's clear the numbers, you know, they they don't lie. You can see the improvement. And if we have a full summer and preseason and summer transfer window with him, uh, going into next season, then I think we will be in a much better position. But of course, obviously, finishing Champions League has an impact in terms of the players you can attract for sure. And that then has a knock on effect on the summer business. So I'm not saying top four is completely irrelevant. You know, of course it is. But I feel a lot more confident in terms of the job he's doing than I than I did um, beforehand. Um, speaking, though, of, of the points gap, one question I was interested to ask you from a kind of psychological perspective Going in, going into the North London derby, let's say, as we expect, that Arsenal will beat Leeds at home and Spurs lose away to Liverpool, and you go into that game with a, with a five-point gap. Does that is that psychologically, do you think, a good or a bad thing for Arsenal? Because I don't know whether this is just me clutching at straws and trying to convince myself that Spurs still have a chance, but I wonder where, if you go into that game five points clear, do you then almost have a must-not-lose mentality rather than a must-win mentality and you're more maybe a bit negative and safety first and that then potentially has a space to backfire whereas if we go into that five points behind we know we have to win we have to win this game nothing else is good enough and we have that kind of clear objective whereas you might have that kind of team in a second leg who's won the first leg of do we go forward and attack do we sit back I mean would you you know I'd almost I feel from a Spurs fan be be worried if we went into that game ahead of you because then you've got something to lose i'm almost kind of glad that we're the the, the chasing pack rather than the ones in that poor position but i wonder you know maybe mm-hmm. that's being jaded from years of spursiness but i wonder from your perspective kind of psychologically as we go in here who do you think has the advantage and actually could that points gap if we do win and cut it down to to two points in those circumstances could that be worse almost than going into the game for you guys with the points gap actually being tighter I think that's a fair point. Um, before I go into that, I just want to pick up on a couple of things you said just before. And it's very interesting, your your optimism about Conte and everything. But just to set a few things straight, I think the Arteta thing in terms of the expectations, the fact that it's all about the context in the fact that at the start of the season, you won the first three games. We lost the first three games. Arsenal were relegated. Spurs have won the league. And it's about that journey, about how far we've come. And that's why I think... And I guess you, you do talk about three years, but I think really it, it is like almost three different spells for Arteta. That that first spell was really half a season to to get the morale back, to 
figure out what was going on and won the trophy. That second season was just a, it was a disaster. It, it was it was exploring all the problems around the club. And the third season has been, right, all the bad eggs out, bring in the good eggs and build a strategy. Maybe that's aspirational and um, a bit of hindsight bias, but fair play, and I'll take that. The second thing is this thing about Europe and everyone's saying, United is saying as well, oh, da, da, da. they played in Europe, they haven't played in Europe, they think. Spurs only played five games in Europe this season. I'm pretty sure they haven't played in Europe since the turn of the year. So it's not an excuse to why they're not doing as well as Arsenal. But anyway, that's that part out of the way. Now about this gap thing. Yeah, I, th- I think <laughs> at the end of the day, I'd rather have the points on the board. Uh, but also I can understand how potentially that pressure and, and, and knowing that we don't necessarily have to win, but we don't want to lose, could actually not work in our favour, we could be conservative. Now, I've heard a lot of people suggest that for Spurs, what we might do is go three at the back. And we have had a decent record this season about shutting out teams and just being determined to maybe sneak a goal um, and just sit back and really, you know, bring Rob Holding into the hole, into the fold and just be solid at the back. Um, I could see us doing something like that and maybe trying something a little bit more of a counter-attack. Because trying to take Spurs on the front foot, you know, leaving too much space, uh, I'd be nervous about Solomon Kane on that front. Um, another strategy I heard someone say on a podcast was about actually Arsenal shouldn't be looking at Spurs. They should be looking at Chelsea during that time. Um, if Chelsea somehow get a poor result on the weekend and we win, then we're right in it for third. And maybe that is the attitude. And I know it's it's kind of the players know what's going on. They can see the league table, but in a sense, if they can say, right, we're going for third, that's why we need to win. We're going for third because we want to, you know, have the pride of, and be the pride of London. Um, we want to show how much progress we've made. We want to capitalise on, on this. We, we um, I mean, I guess it's different now that there's no automatic, quali- there is automatic qualification with fourth, so it doesn't really make too much of a difference. Um, but that's aspirational. I think, I think in a sense, it's probably clutching at straws. And from what I've known this season, in terms of, do you remember when Spurs had like a hundred games in hand, and they were like, yeah, we still got games to play. But Arsenal were like, okay, yeah, games in hands, you're you're going to be above us. But it's not how the game works. It's all about getting those points on the board. So I'd be happier if uh, we can beat Leeds, Spurs can lose to Liverpool, um, and we can go beat you at. The lane, or whatever they call it nowadays, and uh, like the old song goes, we've got top four at White Hart Lane. Um, that would be an absolute joy um, for me. And what are your thoughts on that derby? Do you think do you think that will be the decider? I mean, is, is there uh, is there any any part of you that thinks that that you might sneak something off of Liverpool? No, I don't think I don't think we've got any chance against Liverpool. I mean, there's part of me that thinks, oh, do you know what? It would be typical Tottenham to go and get something at Anfield and then, you know, lose to Burnley. You know, like we won at the Etihad and then we followed that up by losing to Burnley. I mean, Burnley's after Arsenal, but it's I'd, I'd almost feel I'd feel less confident about beating Arsenal if we beat Liverpool because I just think, well, we're not going to do two of those results in a week. Um, and you, you know, Liverpool are going for the quadruple. They look unstoppable at the moment. Our record at Anfield is terrible. Saturday night, the atmosphere, I just can't see us winning that at all. Uh, and I think 
if we don't win that, then the North London derby isn't going to be the decider. It might be the decider in retrospect if, say, we win that and then you drop points to Newcastle and people will retrospectively look back and say, okay, well, that was the turning point. But I don't think it's going to be the game that actually decides it. Not like when we... um when we first qualified for the Champions League under Harry Redknapp and we went away to City and beat them 1-0 and that was literally a playoff. It was a, a winner-takes-all. Whoever won that was was going to qualify and make the last game of the season redundant. Obviously, it's not going to be like that with North London Derby, but I think it will be a decisive game, I suppose, in terms of the momentum. Um, but, you know, even if we do win and cut the gap, we're still relying on Newcastle or Everton to to do as a favour. And that's why I think we've we've left ourselves just that bit too much to do i mean if we beat liverpool uh and then beat you and we basically have to win all our remaining games for it to be in our hands like it kind of is in our hands in a way but it's not Mm. really because we're not expected to get that result against liverpool and i also think the um the scheduling works against us in that one of the things kind of to go back actually speaking about conte one of the things people have said this season was uh we've been a lot better when we've just had one game a week because Conte hadn't had that preseason. And we, you know, we've seen before with Chelsea when he didn't have European football, then how much he flourishes when he has that time on the training ground. And actually when we went through that kind of inconsistent patch of win one, lose one, win one, lose one, I think that was a a period in the season where there were a lot of midweek Premier League games. There was a lot of fixtures kind of bunched in, in that time of the year, kind of, you know, January, February. And one, when we've had one game a week under Conte, we pretty much, well I don't think we won them all but our record is a lot better but we're going to have Liverpool Saturday night at 7.45 which I think is the first time this season I've seen a 7.45 kickoff on a Saturday for a Premier League game Um, then we've got obviously Arsenal on the Thursday then we've got Burnley at noon I think on the Sunday not like half 12 or two or four noon again the first time this season I've seen a 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday Uh, I can imagine the kind of the whining that would be coming from Arteta if it was the other way around. Admittedly, you have one day less rest than us because I think you play Leeds on this on the Sunday. So you have one day less rest than us going into the North London derby. But then after the derby, you don't play again until the Monday night. Now, admittedly, I guess that is an opportunity for us to put some pressure on you because if we were to beat you and then beat Burnley, you'd go into that Newcastle game behind us and really needing to win, which maybe would could influence you. Uh, or on the other hand, you know exactly what you need to do. I don't know. You know, it could work both ways. So, but the fact that we've got those three games basically within the space of a week, and they're three tough fixtures. You know, away at Anfield, a North London derby, and then against a Burnley side who, as you said earlier, might need something to stay up. I mean, hopefully they're they're safe by then and kind of uh, you know have switched off. But those are three tough games to have within the space of a week, and I just think to to take nine points from them, I just don't see happening uh but i think that north london derby is going to be huge because i didn't realize this until i was listening to um a podcast earlier but it's actually the first north london derby at the new stadium with a full crowd uh. and because the, the stadium opened in what 2019 mm. and um i think we'd already played you twice the the season it opened um then we had and then there was that kind of limited capacity game but only home fans where we beat you 2-0 when we kind of briefly went top under Jose and then there was another game uh under Mourinho which I think was oh no there's one of the Mourinho that's completely behind closed doors and then one that had a limited capacity so it'll be the first full capacity game with fans at that stadium and I think the atmosphere I think it is going to you know a night game 
under the lights, I think it'll be a much more intense atmosphere than it would have been when the match was originally meant to be played and not to not to go over that controversy again and have that argument again. But I do wonder, and maybe this is wishful thinking in terms of what I hope will happen rather than what will happen, but I wonder whether Arsenal will partly live to regret this game being pushed back because just the manner of it, and you know, it's taken on so much more significance now than it would have done at that early stage of the season. And, you know, regardless of whether the, the, um, the postponement was right or wrong, it, I'm sure it will have created a certain sense of, um, I don't know if animosity is too strong a word, but, you know, uh, I'm sure Conte and the Spurs players won't have been happy about that match being pushed back. And I'm sure, you know, Conte will use whatever bit of extra motivation he can. And I feel like the atmosphere and I feel like, the, you know, as fans going to the game could potentially play a, a big part in that match. You know, we saw at Goodison with the Everton Chelsea game, how much the atmosphere played a part. And, and uh, you know, I feel like it could be, you know, it's going to be a massive game. They're always massive games, North London derbies, but particularly with what's at stake and it having that capacity crowd and it being that night game, I feel like the atmosphere will be something big and and maybe could prove the the difference as well when all said and done. I mean, I definitely feel less confident if if we were going to the Emirates. I, f- I feel like the fact that we have the game at home does give us a certain advantage that we really need to to capitalise on. Yeah, I think I agree with you that we, we, we probably didn't want that game to become what it has with the pressure. I mean, it, it'll be good on all or nothing, especially if we win. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd eat your hand off for a draw now because I'm kind of getting bad visions of, OK, if the results go our way, this weekend and you beat us going to go to Newcastle I could see us losing that and then you know and it all goes down to the last day it, it could go either way and it's kind of it's horrible it's horrible this way but I think it's um I, I think it's just because of how far we come and how far and how much opportunity there is to to basically shortcut back into the Champions League um when really it wasn't our expectation. I mean, the good thing is we've, we've met our expectation and goals. And this is, again, some revisionist history. But the truth is, after what happened last year and everyone's expectations, finishing the top six, which we have, that, that's a done deal now, is, is impressive. We're back in the Europa League. Woohoo! Sorry, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I did that um, theme song in Peter Griffin's... Uh, voice the other day would you like to hear it i'd love to <laughs> family guy europa league mashup yeah but that's that's all i have to say about that one it kind of sums it all up um what were you about to say i was going to ask if you do um finish top four champions league how much of a turning point do you think it will be for arsenal do you think it will be a kind of watershed moment where you'll kick on or do you think it's just a you know, you've talked about it being ahead of schedule and obviously United have sacked a manager this season, Spurs have sacked a manager, Chelsea have been in turmoil. You know, a lot of circumstances have kind of fallen mm. in your favour. Obviously, you've had to take advantage of them as well. But do you think if you get in the top four this season, you'll be there to stay? And and what almost do you think the approach should be? Do you think you should take, uh, you know, strike while the iron's hot and use being back in the Champions League to go and make loads of big money signings and try and bring some big names in who you might not have been able to get otherwise? Or do you think that would risk almost derailing what it is that's got you to this position in the first place, which is kind of building around that youth and and almost having 
you know, uh, a team rather than individuals? You know, what, what do you want Arsenal to do if you do finish top four? I guess I guess this is looking ahead to the summer, really. Do you want you to go out and, and splash that Champions League cash or do you want to kind of trust the process and, and continue? Mm. And, you know, what is Arteta going to do? Because, you know, it always confused me when you went for kind of William and signed a bummy out to that new contract and were going for these big signings that kind of seemed counter to what I thought the Arteta project was going to be. And, and now you seem to have this this kind of good good feeling and good vibes around this young core of players, but but could almost getting into the Champions League maybe distract from that, almost tempt you into making signings where, where you could then end up with a new Aubameyang and, and Ozil situation. Mm, no, you are right. And I think uh, it puts a lot more pressure on Arteta because if he then says, right, I need these players to, to do the biz um, on the top stage, then he's going to become even more accountable um, than he has been because, but I suppose last season, you know, they were young players, but they were really expensive players we signed. And if it had gone really wrong, um, he would have been accountable for that as well. I think it has to be a mixture. And actually, it goes on, the, it, this links really nicely to the game uh, I set up. Um, and I'll go into that in a moment. But yeah, I, I think, I think for me, you have to stick with a strategy with, you know, you have edges you have your boundaries you know where you want to go but they have to be a little bit soft because if the right opportunity comes up you have to consider taking it and I think I think the I didn't ever think that that original Arteta strategy was young I don't know I don't think it was really a strategy at the beginning I think there was an aspiration of how to play and I think we just went for a free-for-all we tried to shortcut to the Champions League with the Willian um, deal and the Aubameyang New Deal. And then we realised, right, we need to start again. And that's when we got rid of all the Deadwood in the summer and January this year, and we brought in these young players. So I think it's a blueprint. And and young doesn't necessarily mean unproven and inexperienced. It means players that can improve, that have ceilings, that are hungry for it. And so that's when you start to look at those... I mean, I'm dreaming now, you know, these players like... uh, Darwin Nunes and things like that, you, you just start to think, oh, yeah, he's young, good profile, played at the top level. So, so they're quality and experienced in big stage, but not necessarily old. Um, Odegaard, I think, is the perfect blueprint of a signing in terms of he's had that experience at a young age. He has the attributes and it doesn't necessarily matter what age they are. It's, it's age agnostic, I suppose. Um, but yeah, this is why it links really nicely. It supposes me asking the same question back. So because it's all about top four, I have a game. Um, I haven't caught up with the... I guess we can't use the game with no name because that was that was seasons ago. We had that game before. Um, so I have to come up with a quick name. Um, let's call it the power of four. And I have four questions for you. And within... I need you to name four things. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to start a little bit backward and then the end is kind of uh, how we were just starting um, or continuing our conversation. So first I'd like you to tell me the four best things about Spurs' season so far. Then I'd like you to tell me the four worst things that have happened this season. Then I want you to tell me the top four players in Spurs squads for you this season, who are your players of the season, and then four things you want to happen in summer. So really linking to what we just spoke. Um, 
so yeah let's if you're happy you're happy to uh to get stuck in with these questions yeah let's do it so tell me about let's start positive tell me about the four best things that have happened to spurs so far this season i think i can guess one pretty obvious one well conte coming in i mm. think is yeah the first one um i remember being at that united game nuno's last game the infamous uh Bergwijn for Mora substitution and when we sacked Nuno I really thought I thought it was going to be Brian Mason to the end of the season I thought it, you know what are we what are we doing especially after the summer uh, and I thought there was no chance of Conte especially again after what happened in the summer so to have him come in and as I said earlier the impact he's had even if you have certain quibbles at times with his stubbornness as I have or some of his temper tantrums I think it's undeniable that uh, that's been a huge moment in our season and we wouldn't even be talking about Spurs and potential Champions League football if it wasn't for that. Mm. So that's definitely number one. Uh, number two, I'm actually going to say the uh, January transfer window, which was mm. uh, mocked by some at the time. But I think Kuliseski and Bentoncourt, Kuliseski in particular, um, have been, I mean, absolute uh, transformative for us and probably the first time in a long time where new signings to Spurs have come in and really hit the ground running and, and immediately improved us. And again, I don't think we would be uh, in the situation we're in the league right now if it wasn't for those players, particularly Kuliseski, not to uh, give away my answer for some of the later <laughs> questions. Um, then I think the third thing I'm going to say, maybe the the I'll group them together, the, the away wins at Leicester and Man City and the manner in which we won them, those kind of last gasp victories, mm. they, they were just, you know, the two best wins of the season, two tricky away games against strong opposition. And those are the kind of games as a football fan that give you the biggest high and that you, you remember fondly at the end of the season, you know, those dramatic turnarounds, you know, for all the talk of, of being Spursy and, and chucking stuff away, those are examples where we, you know, showed the opposite. We, we came back. So, yeah, those, those late comebacks away at Leicester and City. And then the fourth best thing that's happened this season. Do you know what? Probably, probably keeping Harry Kane. Uh, I think even though he hasn't had an incredible season by his standards, I think we would definitely have been worse off if he had left in the summer. And I think keeping him again, having that sort of reliable uh, centre forward, you see how much other teams right now, Arsenal included, are kind of scrambling in a way for a centre forward. It seems like there's, you know, there's a there's this top level Mbappe, Haaland centre forwards who everyone knows are brilliant and who are out of most people's price range. But then below that, it kind of feels like getting a really reliable striker right now. You look at Chelsea even, all the money they spent on Lukaku and, and look how that worked out for them. Werner the year before that. It's it's a deceptively hard position to have a, a really reliable goal scorer there so the fact that we did manage to keep Kane for another season and have him as that that focal point I think has, has been good interesting I thought you were going to put him alongside Mbappe and uh, Haaland and I'm pretty uh pretty surprised you didn't uh, put Benzema on that bracket nowadays well yeah I suppose you would have to include Benzema there wouldn't you and uh Lewandowski of course um I'm, I'm, I might take my turn on this question you know to, to counter your very predictable Spurs rhetoric. <laughs> um, I've kind of touched on it before, that like young player progress. Um, Saka taking it to another level, especially after the Euros. I think all football fans or English fans should be happy that he's come back just playing his football because that, that was very worrying, the severity of that situation. Um, 
Martinelli, you know, got a uh, has got to run the team, which is amazing because um, he's a class player and he deserved a chance. Um, Odegaard, I suppose, can count. Really big leadership skills. Smith Rowe, bit stop start, weirdly, the second half because of his injuries, but still one of our top goal scorers. So, yeah, real, real progress and uh, the future's bright with that. I mentioned it before, but also the Arteta reinvention, I suppose, about the way that he is able to adapt and change it. It can take him a while, but not as long as other managers. He, he realised it's not working with Lacazette. Now I need to change it and bring in Nketiah. Or Lokonga was too weak, so I brought in El Nene, and I'm not afraid to change it. It didn't work with Shaka at left-back at one point, but then he brought back Nuno. And I, I, I think it's showing a little bit more humility than he was. And I, I'm quite proud and excited. And I think people forget... Like young players, young managers have to get things out of their system. It's like anyone in any job. You have to learn things the hard way sometimes. You can't be perfect. And whether or not he keeps going in an upward trajectory, um, I've got to give it to him that he has adapted. The third thing is the opposite of the first thing, that in with the young, out with the old. Getting rid of Aubameyang was really important. Um Kalasinac, all that jazz, just really getting away the stink of the club. I don't even know, was it, was uh, Mustafi this January or was that last year? I can't remember. Um, but really bringing in players that care for the badge and the fans connect with is important. Um, and as I said before, the big comeback. We were relegated the first few games of the season. We're fourth right now. That That is amazing, whatever happens. And it'll be very hard to swallow if we don't do it now because we're so close and we've come, come across so many hurdles. Um, but I think this season is a success, whatever happens now, I have to say, based on contexts. Context. Um, but if we don't get top four and it doesn't go to plan next season, then it, then it could all be for nothing. So we need to get over the line. So that is, that is my... Four best things. Um, and it was interesting to hear yours. Harry Kane, can't get rid of him, like a bad rash. Um, Antonio Conte, I guess we'll be sitting here this time next year and we'll be talking about Graham Potter. It's just the way these things go. I must uh, I must look back at podcast a year ago and see whether you were saying the same things about Jose. <laughs> um, so what about the four worst things? What are the four worst things this season that have happened to you? Um, we don't talk about Nuno. We don't talk about Nuno. Yeah, it's funny when you said context. It just made me think you can't you can't spell context without Conte. Maybe that's what oh. I should have said when I was uh, defending him earlier. Um, oh, maybe, that, maybe that's maybe that's the episode title. Maybe you can't spell con- context without Conte. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't talk about Nuno. It'd be easy for me just to say just just Nuno is the worst thing, but I'm actually <laughs> going to go more specific. I'm going to go the September international break because <laughs> up until then we'd won our first three games. He'd got manager of the month. They all went off the international break and I don't know what, they all came back and it all went to pot. We lost 3-0 at Palace, Tanganga got sent off and we just, we never recovered after that international break. I think we got some injuries. There was a whole, do you remember Romero and the Celso going to that Argentina game kind of like illegally and the, the oh, yeah. ran on the pitch? Like it just, it all went wrong in that international break. So that international break was the turning point for Nuno. So the September international break is the first worst thing that happened to us. Then second thing I'm going to say, um, covid obviously covid is something that's affected us all but when i look at tottenham season it was covid that basically got us knocked out of the conference league 
which, you know, who knows? This is Conference League semi-final night. You talk about lack of trophies. Maybe the Conference League would have been that trophy if we hadn't have been kicked out of it for having caught COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it meant, you know, it, it, it wreaked havoc with a lot of the Premier League season earlier this season. We kind of forget about it now, but there were all those matches being postponed and obviously the North London derby, of course, being postponed. And who knows how different this season might have been had that game been played when it was meant to be. Uh, the third worst thing... I'm going to go for when we, do you remember when we lost the successive home games to Southampton and Wolves? How could I forget? Because I think that will be a particular stage of the season that we look back on if we don't finish top four and say that's where we blew it. You know, those are the games where if you want to be finishing top four, you you have to win them. And then the fourth thing, I'm going to say actually Oliver Skip's injury because he was a really key player for us at the start of the season. And then he picked up what seemed to be at the time an innocuous looking injury, which then dragged on and on and on. And then I think it was a week or so ago, it was like, yeah, he's out for the season. And it's a shame because he was a real breakthrough player for us this season. He was out on loan at Norwich last season, was part of their team that won the championship, a key part of the team. They really missed him this season by all accounts. And he he looked like a, uh, many managers have talked about him being a future Spurs captain. And I think we've really missed him since he's been out injured. And I think if he was still fit, particularly alongside Hoiberg and Bensoncourt, it would have just given us a, a bit of extra uh, options and solidity in the middle. And I think it's a shame for him and his development because I think he was really on track to have a have a brilliant season and a real breakthrough season. Hopefully this injury won't prove too uh, debilitating moving forward. So hopefully he can make a good comeback next season. So yeah, September international break, COVID, those home defeats and Oliver Skip's injury would be the four worst things. Very, uh, very sad for Spurs and... Uh... Yeah, poor Nuno. When you look back, when you look back now, you think Spurs were literally like, "We need to hire a manager who's available." Like, it just doesn't fit. It's so random. Uh, it's not like he'd been like smashing it at Wolves towards the end either. It's just very odd. Um, COVID, I can relate to as well um, with all the problems that that happened, uh, especially on our first game of the season. And uh, I don't really buy it with Skip, to be honest. I never have. Don't really get it. I, I know I'm biased, but I can be fair sometimes. He feels like the um, he feels like the winks mould, just bang average, box to box. Don't really know what he does. Don't get it. Don't think he'll make it at the top level. Um, sue me if uh, <laughs> um, we you can clip that if you'd like. Uh, four worst things for Arsenal: start of the season. Those first three games were pathetic. Um, we knew it'd be bad. We had a real massive COVID outbreak. Um, everyone was getting games cancelled afterwards, and I think that North Thunder derby was Premier League karma for us having to play that first game. Um, basically, no. Well, it was still a decent team, but you know, with that lack of preparation to to lose a lot of our best players. Um, Aubameyang was one of the worst things in terms of his attitude, his performances, the way he left as well, um, and subsequently having these injuries towards the end of the season. I I don't. I don't really buy it because I think our squad depth should be much better. And, and that's been a real problem. Um, I think what they did was they tried to get all the bad eggs out. They wanted a close cultural unit this season, um, especially after January. And they thought because we weren't playing as many games, we could be streamlined and and cope. And uh, that was naive. And fourthly, the January window. For me, not signing a striker was a terrible, terrible mistake. And a lot of people argue, well, if you spend big money on a striker that's not quite the one and, you, and it might be more available and better spend the money in, in the summer, fine. 
you can't say that there was no one who wasn't better than Lacazette and Eddie Nketiah to score us goals. I, I don't care. I think even someone who was in the championship who was scoring goals would have been better. Or someone around Europe. I can't. I haven't researched and I don't know a name for you. But you can't tell me that they were the best options to score goals, to bring someone on to score goals who we were having problems. And that wouldn't have been big money. Um, I think it was a real mistake. We would have sewn up top four by now if, if we had signed a striker or, or even loaned a striker. And I hope, I hope to God that at the end of the season we don't rue that because all very well trying to then sign your target in summer when you haven't, uh, when you aren't in the calibre of, of competition to... to to sign them. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm praying that that won't be the case. But in the summer, for, I'll talk about this in a sec, um, who we really need to sign. So top players for you this season. Uh, again, I can probably guess um, who will be on that list, but I'll, I'll let you do the honours to uh, give yourself a virtual lap of honour for uh, Sir Dejan Ginger from Sweden. Well, yeah, Kuliseski definitely on there. What an impact. One of the, the signings of the season. Uh, I think I read a stat somewhere. You said it was a fake stat, but that he's got more assists than any Arsenal player this season. Uh, he's certainly eclipsed the £100 million man Jack Grealish's stats for the season, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, I mean, his stats stack up favourably, actually, to most kind of attacking midfielders in the league. And when you consider he only got here in, in January fairly impressive, especially somebody who has written off as a supposed, you know, flop and Juventus reject for him to come in and hit the ground running like he has. He's definitely there. Then Hyungman Son, who is my Spurs player of the season. Uh, we all remember the the opening game. You were there against City where he scored and, and I think established himself. He usurped Harry Kane as the main man at Tottenham. When Kane was agitating for a move, Son signed a new contract and he's been the main source of goals this season. And actually it's kind of crept up on all of us that he's in a race with Salah for the the golden boot, and if you exclude penalties, which I you know I don't think you should, but if you do, then Son has scored more non-penalty goals than Salah. I think he's only a couple goals wow. off of him, and I think Son's goal-scoring record, maybe because he's in a team with Harry Kane, often goes unnoticed. But he has been just banging them in now for for a long time, and yeah, he scored an incredible goal against Leicester at the weekend, one of the best goals I've seen live, and I think. He is he is Mr. Tottenham Hotspur now instead of Harry Kane. So yeah, Kulusevski, Son, then Romero, which I say tentatively because I can easily envisage him getting sent off in the North London derby, in which case he would then go from hero to zero. And I was very annoyed with him at the start of the season. He was either injured or away on international duty, but he has really come into his own now. And there was a tackle he did in the build-up to our second goal against Leicester, which is was just brilliant. It, you know, front foot defending, winning the ball back, and it, it's that kind of active defending which which starts off attacking moves which we've been missing for for so long. And I think he he has the potential to to be a really really big player for us. And then fourth, I'm going to go for Hugo Lloris. Uh, our captain, not Harry Kane, as so many people often make the mistake of saying, and somebody who I think there were points last season where I think many people, myself included, were starting to lose faith with Hugo, maybe thought he was starting to show his age, some mistakes were starting to creep in or, or become a bit more regular. But I think he's really turned it around this season, made some really huge saves at key moments. In fact, 
there was um in the Leicester game there was a shot which hit the post and it looked like it, it was just a shot that hit the post but then you saw the replays and actually it was an incredible save from Hugo to tip it onto the post and if that had gone in it could have been a very different game and I think he is a World Cup winner of course I think he's uh, an example for the rest of the team so yeah my my top four players are Son, Kulisevsky, Romero and Lloris no Harry Kane oh music to my ears R.I.P. Harry <laughs> off to City you go um my top top one is Saka purely for the mental strength he's shown to come back this season, but also he is just actually a phenomenal player. He's, uh, I eat humble pie because I really criticised him at the start. I didn't see what he brought, but he's he's strengthened, he can score, he can skill, he can pass, he can cross, he's, he can even head. I think he's he is the full package for me, and, and I don't think he's at that top, top level yet, but I think it, he, he deserves to be playing in the Champions League now. And... Uh, and when he's not, or if he's not, he, he will he will see pastures new. But it's amazing having a player come through the system like him and do the things he's been doing. You know that saves uh, that saves you a bit of money on on on, uh, on a transfer on a winger and so versatile as well. Amazing. Um, Odegaard for his his leadership, the way he he just plays Seski like Fabregas, just a real. Real skill, real silkiness, class. You could see his experience um, from playing at the top level. He's fantastic. My my captain for next season, for sure. Very likeable. Can do even better, but the potential's there and he excites me. Um, Ramsdale. And almost could have fought Saka for my, my player of the season so far because... I always said there was a problem with keeper after we got rid of Martinez. The way we want to play needs a keeper who can play out the back. And Ramsdale's been a breath of fresh air. He's he's like a fan, even when it was almost like watching the entertainment, the way he always connected with us when I was in the away ground. It was it was and it was fascinating. Um he's exciting, he can make mistakes, he can lose his head. He uh he probably just should have or could have got sent off the other day. It was a dive, I believe, but uh it was very risky and a bit silly, but I just like him. He's likable. He makes amazing saves. And um, when he has his confidence, um, he, he's one of the best around for me. And finally, it was a hard one because there, there are some good honourable mentions. Tommy Ashley was amazing. I'm not, I'm not quite on that bandwagon yet in terms of celebrating him as the biggest and best. But Gabrielle for me is taking it slightly up a notch. He. He is prone to making some silly mistakes and having a bit of uh, David Louise brain, but he's just beasted up a bit. He looks a bit scary, and he's he's he looks like the sort of guy who should be a defensive talisman for the club, a bit in the Virgil Van Dijk mould. And he's nowhere near that. But you know, playing for Brazil, hopefully he uh, he goes from strength to strength. I've been I've been impressed. Again, it's just a player I like, and I think when you like them, uh, it might skew their performances a little bit. Um, but um, I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Gabriel this season as well. So those are my top four: Saka, Odegaard, Ramsdale, and Gabriel. Honorary mentions to ESR, uh, Takahiro, and um, we don't talk about Nuno there either. Um, there was one thing I wanted to say, and I'm trying to remember now. It was something earlier in the podcast. Um, I feel like it was something to do with the summer transfer window. 
Yes, no. It was when you said about us um, signing players in the Champions League, you know, yada, yada, and whether we'd stay in the top four. And actually, I don't think so. I think there is, because of this money disparity as well, there, there will be... T- t- I don't think, it, like, let's say you have a 10, five-year period, I don't think you'll have the same top four every year. I think it will change um, with the times. And it's... I think the Europa League is gaining a little bit more credibility because of the Champions League space. Um, I'd like to see maybe teams take it a little bit more seriously in the early stage as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... I think being in there three out of five years is progress and, and semi-dominance um, for a club of, with our resources at the moment because City and Liverpool are miles away. Chelsea, who knows what will happen? United, who knows? Um, Tottenham Arsenal, who knows? So I think those top two are, are miles away. It's, there's, there's basically two spaces and you've got a lot of good clubs in there. Um, Newcastle, obviously, are going to come back as well and you never know how other teams strengthen. So, based on that, what four things do you want to happen in the summer months? I would like us to sign Christian Eriksen. But we're about to say Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> no. I don't think he scored a lot of goals for United, but I'll, I, I'll, I'll pass on Ronaldo. You're happy with Bergwijn. Exactly, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I'd like to bring Ericsson back if if he wants to come back. Uh, some people might say it's emotion speaking, it's it's looking to the past, but I think he's clearly still got it. In that Brentford game, he created more chances, I think, than our whole team combined. And I think we do still, we've never really replaced him. So why not replace Ericsson with Ericsson? Like we replaced Bale with Bale for a season uh, last season. Why not bring him back? I'd, I'd like the, the, the feel good story. And I think there's a there's a small chance of it happening. I think he'll probably stay at Brentford, but if he does want to leave, I'd like us to sign him. I'd like us to sign a striker. I mm. don't necessarily have a name for you, but I think we need to we can't just continue to rely on Harry Kane. This is kind of a evergreen thing we say every season, but also we need to start thinking about what happens after Harry Kane. Ooh. Is he gonna sign a new contract this summer? I think We'll get to the summit with two years left and it gets to that point where you think, OK, is he is he going to sign a new one? Is he running it down? If he is running it down, do you sell? Uh, I don't see who buys him this summer. I think he will stay. But there's that question over the contract. Uh, I'd like to see Conte commit uh, his his future to Spurs. I think that's probably the main thing. Mm. Always question marks about about that. Rumours about the PSG job. Mm. He'll only have a year a year left on his contract. So I think you want to see those rumours about Conte put to bed early so we can have some stability and certainty going into the summer. And then what is the fourth thing that I would like to see happen over the summer months? Chelsea to fold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> Chelsea to fold. Uh, we, yeah, we need, we need a, a gap to open up at the top. Chelsea have had their time. Uh, I'm sure they'll land on their feet. The, these clubs always do, but it'd be nice if uh, if we had something like that. You know, just to not only for the kind of karma and the, the revenge for Chelsea, but to shake things up a bit in the Premier League and and open things up at, at the top of the table. Yeah. I think that's a that's a shared mutual uh, summer event for me. Um, on Arsenal side, I think we'll be competing with you for a striker. 
Um, I suppose it'll be interesting because I guess you're probably looking more for a, a second and a half striker, someone who can push, um, but not quite a Kane replacement unless he leaves, obviously. Um, we need a proper bang-bang striker. We need the name, a big name, someone who you put in the team, you know that you can't guarantee it, but you know they're pretty much going to score. They're going to get you at least 20 goals a season. Defenders are going to be frightened of them, especially if we get into the Champions League. We need, we haven't had a fearsome striker for a long, long time. A proper striker. Someone who can head the ball, someone who can hold it up, someone who can shoot from far, someone who's in the box all the time. Eddie Nketiah is great. It isn't him. If he wants to leave and not be second striker, I won't lose sleep over it, to be honest. Despite him being very impressive the last few games. Um, Similarly, centre... Well, I'll say this first. I think we need to say goodbye to a few players who have been here um, since the kind of older era and I think are just a sign of the old Arsenal. Leno needs to go and he will. Um, We've signed Matt Turner from, I think, New England Revolution. I think he's... I think he's the US keeper. It's kind of ridiculous. So, and he's a bit older. So, I wonder whether, I wonder how good he is, and whether he could challenge Ramsdale. And that's that's kind of crazy to think. But who knows? It's it's, it's nice to have a bit of refreshment in that area. Lacquer needs to go. Can't score. Can't do anything. Tired. No point putting more money into him. He might be great behind the scenes, but we're not a charity case. Shaka. He's been brilliant this season. He really actually has. But I, I don't like him as a as the whole scene with the fans. It just doesn't sit right with me. And I wish him all the best, but he's made a lot of mistakes. It's always him. Even when he has good performances, he's too unpredictable. Sign of the old era. Time for him to go. And uh, with his buddy Jose, Pepe, off the face of the earth. We're not going to get our money back. We have to accept it was a it was a terrible deal. And cash in or some, maybe Newcastle will take him for 25 million and make him start. I don't know. And then Nuno Tavares, I'm afraid. So this is a bit of a newer one, but he's just been rubbish. He looks really bad. I was watching him the other days. He's got no confidence, two left feet. It's just embarrassing. And He could easily be the one to, to ruin our top four hopes um, in the next four games. So I think it's time for him to go and assign a replacement left back. In terms of that Shaka replacement, you know, we have some decent young players coming through. El Nene is experienced. If he can stay around, that'd be quite nice. If he's still, I don't know whether it's fluky his performances recently or he is really the, the, the best Egyptian in the league. Um, I think we need someone like a Tillemans. I think that'd be a really good signing. I think he'd be cut price because of his contract. It's just exciting. I think we just need a big name in there. Someone who can do a bit of everything who can, who can be great attacking wise and kind of help out with the defensive shift. I'm not sure anyone else. A Basuma, maybe. Um, I don't know what, what his deal is at the moment. Something exciting in that front. And then return of Mr. Saliba. The guy has been winning ma- ma- uh, Player of the Month awards in France. He's got a France national team call-up. I've heard he's fantastic. We spent a lot of money on him. And I think there's a space there, maybe alongside Gabriel, because Ben White is good but he hasn't convinced me 100%, and it'd be great to have some competition. I think that could be exciting, and again, another young player. But I'm not sure how he's got along with Arteta. As we've seen, if you don't get along with Arteta, you're out the door. Um, 
So those are the things that want to happen in summer. And I suppose after the summer, what I want to happen is sit with a uh, bowl of popcorn and a tea and watch uh, All or Nothing all in one night, like I believe uh, someone else recently did. What is it about Nuno's in North London? Poor Nuno Tavares, Nuno Espirito Santo. Nuno is... Uh, yeah, Nuno's a banned word. So any other Nuno's you know? Um, Nuno, no, Nuno, no, Nuno, Nuno. <laughs> yeah he's just oh i can't i i literally I just and my cousin when i was at the game the other night was like no he's fine he's doing i'm like i can't i can't watch this anymore this isn't fair it's painful it's like what like put him out his misery the poor guy like he's he's ruined he's finished he's done well maybe we'll all be put out of our misery soon this this misery of the top four race within the next week or so could well be weeks we we will know where we stand dare i ask you for a prediction for north london derby oh oh god oh god no no you can't ask me (laughs) all i'm saying is i'd take a draw now and i suppose you'd have to take the win it's well yeah for, for us it is it is all or nothing um if I had to, well, no, I can't predict either. But no, uh, I think that's. I think it's 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 too close to home. This one. We shall see. We we will not be recording in the immediate aftermath, which will perhaps be for the best. Whatever happens, <laughs> uh, but I look forward to picking up the pieces afterwards and perhaps reflecting on the end of the season. And I wonder whether our answers to these questions will will change over the next few weeks where the players will go up and down on our estimations whether what we think needs to happen in the summer will shift depending on where we end up finishing best of luck and uh, may the red team win white team win